So it's no surprise to you, though it seems a little bit shocking, that Christmas is just eight days away. Eight days away. You know what that means, right? That means that all of the women here would love to tell us how they've been done with their shopping now for weeks. And how all the guys here would say, well, that means I've got another week before I have to even go to the mall. We, we kind of see it a little bit differently. That means that it's two weeks until New Year's, which means it's three weeks until we break our resolutions. Right? Yeah, it's kind of a pessimistic point of view, but it's kind of the way that it is. And I know that people are thinking about resolutions because I've seen some written down already for 2018. Here was one that I saw. It was that my resolution is to lose enough weight that my belly doesn't jiggle when I brush my teeth. <laughs> that's, that's aiming pretty high, right? It's pretty profound. Here was another one. It's that I'm going to stop being condescending to people. Oh, that means talking down to people. All right, some of you got it. Those of you who are laughing, lean to the people next to you and explain that to them, would you please? All right, no. We aren't really, as a people, all that good at keeping our resolutions. You know this, right? You've seen the surveys. You know that studies show that only about 8% of resolutions that are made even last three months. And there are reasons for that. And one of the big reasons for that is because objects in motion tend to stay in motion. Objects at rest tend to stay at rest. And so when it comes to changing the pattern of behavior that we are in, it requires a couple of major steps. One of those is removing the desire to go forward in the direction that we have been going, and then also adding in a desire that we would move forward in the realm that we now want to go toward. See, the fact of the matter is the direction that something is heading is almost always the way that it continues to go. Sometimes we just call that maintaining the status quo. Do you know that there actually is something in business and economics called the status quo bias? And what that is, is it says that the direction something is going is the way that is going to continue to go regardless of whether or not there is a better way forward. And for many of us, the status quo bias would say to us that I'm going to continue to do the things that I've been doing even though I know that there's a better way to do them. And we get trapped in that. And if it's just about toothbrush jiggle, all right, that's fine, that's one thing. But in so many realms of life, it is so much more significant than that. Today, I'm sure that there are people listening who are in marriages that have gotten stuck in a rut and in those marriages, we know that we could do better, but the idea of having to unearth and unpack the things that have led us to the place where we are and then kind of turn it in a new direction and work through all the weeds of what's going to be necessary to get us moving in another direction, well, really, it's just kind of easier just to sort of stay where we are, and good enough is good enough. That's maintaining the status quo. For you, it might have to do with the area of your job. You might not be excelling exactly, you might not be doing everything you could, but you're getting good reviews from your boss and things are going okay. You know that you could probably give more to what it is that you're doing. You know that you could probably find a place to, to work and to serve that would be more fulfilling for you, but it's paying the bills and, and to go and get my resume together and look for a new job and all that, you know, it's just easier to just kind of stay where I am. Status quo. Same thing happens in our spiritual walk. You might be in a place where you would honestly say it's not everything that it should be, but 
it's kind of nice to just go on the weekend and get a spiritual jolt and feel good for a little while and, and just kind of coast the rest of the week. And it would be so much time I'd have to invest if I'm going to go and get involved in a small group or go and serve in this area. So I know it's not everything that it should be, but, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. It's maintaining the status quo. Now, none of us jump into life desiring to live by the status quo. It's just something that kind of starts to happen. One thing leads to another. We start to slip a little bit from the commitment that we made right at the outset. And pretty soon we find that we've slipped maybe quite a ways. And something comes up that just reminds us of the fact that we have gone well down the road. But the work that it would take to get back to the place where we were or maybe even to a better place, that's just so much effort. And so we just make this decision that we're going to kind of throw in the towel on moving to what is best so that we might just continue to enjoy sort of where we are and the way that things are operating. We're probably not happy with that, but changing it requires a major overhaul or some major event to take us in a new direction, even when we know that there's a better path that we could go to. That's the status quo bias. Now, we're not the first people to deal with this. In the first century, there were many people who were walking the face of the earth who would say that they were God lovers. They would say that they were Christ followers. But if you would take a look at their lives, you would see that they weren't fully living up to the commitment that they had originally made when they started to become Christ followers and the like. They needed a major event themselves to wake them up to how far they'd strayed off of the course where they were supposed to be. Well, enter Jesus. They needed a major event, enter Jesus. Today we are continuing on in our God With Us sermon series and we're going to be thinking specifically of this idea of God with us to challenge the status quo to challenge things just as they have been and just kind of maintaining what those things are so that we might get back on track. See, Jesus, when he came into the world, did so because he wasn't willing to just see the world and the church of the day just continue to go on down the road that they had been going down. So what we're going to do today is we're going to take a look at a few of those areas where we see Jesus coming in to challenge the status quo because interestingly enough, the areas that he is putting his finger on there in the first century are areas where we still have things we need to deal with today. So we want to go ahead and take a look at that and see what we might learn and glean from it. This is absolutely essential. Sometimes you hear people say, well, look, the status quo, that's just good enough. And I got to say to you, no, it's not. It's not good enough. Now you can make that choice for you in areas of your life if you want to, but spiritually speaking, God came down. God is with us so that we might not get stuck and be willing to just stay in the status quo, but that we might move past it. We don't want to settle because when we settle, we get stuck and it impairs our ability to be all that God desires for us to be. The bottom line on this that I want to be sure that we understand is just this, that fixation without examination leads to stagnation. Fixation, we get stuck somewhere without examining where we are and where it is that we ought to be, leads to stagnation. And many of us are living a stagnant spiritual life 
because we haven't been willing to do the work of unearthing what really needs to be considered and done to move us into a better direction. So for these next few minutes, I want to take a look at some of these areas where Jesus challenged those that he came to with this new reality. First of all, we see it in Jesus challenging the pursuit of power. The pursuit of power. See, one given in every culture is that everybody wants to be the one who's in power. They want to be the one with the privilege. Because if you're the one in power, you can make people do what you want them to do. You can make them do your homework for you if you wanted. You can make them clean your house. You can make them bring you orums every morning for breakfast. See, there are advantages to being in power. And we know that. Well, it's no different in Jesus' day, and no one was immune, even those who were closest to Jesus. And one day, a couple of the guys who were the closest of the disciples to Jesus came to him with a big ask. They said, we want you to put us on your right and on your left. Be put on the right and left of somebody who was in power. Those were positions of power. Those were positions of prestige, and that's what these two guys wanted for themselves, which is pretty bold to make that sort of ask. You know what it reminded me of as I thought about it this week? kind of reminded me of earlier in the Steelers season. Do you remember when Martavis Bryant went to the Steelers and he was tweeting saying that I want a position of greater, pos- or I want a greater position here on this team. I want to be targeted more often or else I want to be traded. That's what this is. It's a power play. Now, in the case of these two disciples, the rest of the disciples looked on and said, well, that's fine. If those guys want to be the ones who have the power and the position, let's just let them be those people, right? No, that's not how they reacted at all. Mark chapter 10 tells us their reaction. It says, when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. They're upset. Why are they indignant? Because if somebody's going to have the power, why can't it be me? Why has it got to be them? I want to be the one in power. And we all have this tendency to come at power from that standpoint. Why somebody else? Why can't it just be me? That's our default position. It's just assumed that we would have that sort of desire. It's the status quo, if you will. But Jesus came to challenge the status quo. That passage goes on in the next verse. It says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. He's identifying people who had the power and authority in that day and pointing out that with power oftentimes comes abuse of power. People don't use it perfectly. And he's acknowledging that and he's saying, you know what? There's a completely different way forward. Jesus came to be God with us to challenge the status quo and here's what he has to say in that realm of power. Passage goes on and it says this, not so with you. This is Jesus teaching. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, wants to have the power, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' words would have stunned them. This was completely countercultural. But this is something that Jesus needed his, his hearers 
and his followers in that day and his hearers and followers in this day to understand that greatness isn't found by seeking power. It's not found by going after it and seeing how many people I can get to serve me. He says it's just the opposite of that. Greatness is found, real power is found, real influence is found, not in being served, but in serving others. That is his point. This is a power that can impact lives and influence communities. See, where there is real power, it stands out from the crowd, and we see it. And in this case, he's saying, if you really want to stand out from the crowd, then serve other people. Don't make people always try to have to come and serve you. That's not going to stand out at all because everybody looks like that. Jesus says if you really want to have influence, then you need to learn the principle of not insisting on being served, but in serving. That's his point. And the power you'll have in in those lives of people who see you in that regard is going to be far greater than if you just insist on them serving you. Now, I'm not saying that There can never be godly people in positions of power. There certainly can be, and indeed there are. But the path to real, genuine, Christ-following power, ironically enough, comes through humility, not through self-promotion. And Jesus knew he was going to have to come and be God with us, enter into our world, if we were going to get to the place where we would ever come to realize that and recognize it because it was so countercultural but so important that he wasn't willing to not come to make it known. So look at how you're living and ask yourself, what is the greatness that you are pursuing? And how is it that you're going about pursuing that? Because it's so easy to get just sucked right back into this cultural norm, and it just happens so fast. Remember, fixation without examination leads to stagnation. You're fixated somewhere. And you must do this examination because if you aren't willing to do the examination and ask yourself, where am I in this regard? What sort of servanthood is being displayed in my life? Then you can know that you are just getting stagnant in your point of view. If you're looking in the wrong places for power and influence, then start to look around you for the needs that exist and start to serve and meet those needs. And it will break you out of the status quo. We see God with us in Jesus challenging the pursuit of power and also Jesus, secondly, in challenging the practice of prejudice. Challenging the practice of prejudice. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, there was a major rift that existed between groups of people, two in particular, between those who considered themselves to be the chosen people of God, the Israelites or the Jews, and everybody else who we refer to as the Gentiles. The Jews, for their their part, looked down on the Gentiles. They considered them to be inferior, second-class sorts of people, and the Gentiles returned the favor. There were laws for how they could actually interact with one another. And actually, in the temple courtyard, there was something called the courtyard of the Gentiles, which said, this is as close as you can come to the sacred places. And then the courtyard of the Jews were much closer into that holy place. There was this division and distinction between them. Well, Jesus came to be God with us to challenge that sort of division that existed in the world in that day and to bring these groups together. So he took that religious system that was being used to keep people apart and he made it more complete through the cross by dying so that all of the barriers might be taken out of 
the way because of the cross. The Apostle Paul pointed that out in Ephesians where he writes this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's saying that the sacrifice of Jesus for everyone, regardless of race and citizenship or ethnicity, has been paid. The price to bring those together has happened through Jesus' arrival here on this earth. Paul puts an even finer point on it when he goes on to say this. For he himself is our peace. This is about Jesus, Paul is saying. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus came to undo the belief that it's okay to have division between people of different backgrounds or different nationalities. His desire was that people of all nations would live as one, free from prejudice, through the power of the cross. That was 2,000 years ago. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to say that he accomplished his purpose and everybody since that time has lived according to the way that he chose to have them live by breaking down those dividing walls and that there aren't any dividing walls anymore? Wouldn't that be wonderful? But we can't say that. Prejudice is every bit as real today as it was in Jesus' day. And I believe that the church is the group that needs to be on the forefront of seeing something change in this regard. I'm glad that there are civic organizations that are working toward that end, but I believe the church should be on the forefront of this because Jesus is the one who came originally to choose to break it down, to break down the barriers, and it's through what he has done and through the church's message that we have the opportunity to really take this forward. I do believe that in the bottom of my heart. Because prejudice is still a scourge on our nation. Now, normally when we think of prejudice, our minds first go to racial prejudice. And yes, that is a big deal to be sure. There's no doubt about it. We need to be on the front lines working in that regard. But it goes beyond that. There's economic prejudice that happens in our world. That's where you're looking down on somebody who has less than you do or maybe judging somebody who has more. There's moral prejudice, which is dismissing people who who might have a different value system than what you have or might live out a morality in a way that's different from the way that you would live it out. There's appearance prejudice where you look down on someone because of their age or their beauty or any of a number of other factors that you just look on, maybe their weight or how they dress, any of a number of things. Now, you might be tempted to say, Pastor Jeff, look, It just is what it is. It's been with us for so long. People's orientation is so much in that direction. Really, there's not that much that we're really going to be able to do about it. If we could, it would have been done by now. And I understand that perspective. In fact, I've beat my head against that wall myself plenty of times. But I believe that we can and I believe that we must. I've got at least a few reasons that just keep coming back to me as to why it is that we don't have a choice of just setting this aside or not making this something that is very much on the forefront of what we're seeking to accomplish. One of those is because all of the great societal advancements that have been made have been made in the face of great challenges. So it doesn't follow that we would say, well, because it's difficult, we shouldn't go after it. Because all of the advancements we've made have been difficult. So there's every reason to believe that it can be done because it has been done. 
Beyond that, a second reason would be even if you don't make the change, even if nothing is accomplished because of your efforts, there will be a change that's been made in your own heart because you've aligned it with where God would have you to be. And you've got to start there. You can't let go of that as a priority. And the third of those would be that Jesus himself left heaven to come into our world to break down the dividing wall of hostility. And if that was so much on his mind as his followers, we can do no less. We've got to press forward on this. So ask yourself where you can make a difference. I believe in the very near future, you are going to be faced with the circumstance of prejudice. You are going to see it. Now, at first, you might not recognize it because we've become so dulled to seeing it all around us and just letting it kind of ride because it's just the way that the world operates. I want to challenge you to do more than that. I want to challenge you, first of all, to pray that you would be sensitized to the prejudice that you see that exists around you. And secondly, that you would be bold enough to step up and do something. The, the, the wave of, of people's reactions to it is going to be headed in one particular direction. It's going to be so easy to just jump on that boat and ride it along because it's the path of least resistance. It's the status quo mindset. But I want to challenge you to jump out of that boat and get on a different one that's going the other direction. That would make a difference. That would step up and respond in a way that demonstrates that your desire is to lead in this regard. That your desire is to see to it that the person who's being discriminated against comes to understand that they've got value in God's eyes. They've got value in your eyes. That there is meaning that they can pursue for themselves. That they've got dignity. Jesus came to confront this practice of prejudice. And we don't have the choice of doing anything less. We can't say, yeah, that would be good and, and I might do that sometime. This is a must call for all of us. Friends, fixation without examination leads to stagnation. You need to do that examination in your own mind, in your own heart for where you are and how it is that you can step out and go against the grain of culture for the sake of demonstrating the dignity and value and worth of those who are on the receiving end of the discrimination. One more area. I want to look at where Jesus came to challenge the status quo, and that was in challenging the presumption of privilege. I wonder, do you consider yourself to be a person of privilege? I'm guessing that for most of us, our default response to that is, no, I'm not a person of privilege. People of privilege are people with the power. They're the power brokers in society. They are the well-connected. They are the wealthy. And that makes sense. I understand that we would come at it from that point of view. But I would suggest to you that such a conclusion is what I would call a downgrade bias. Because we look at people that we would say, well, those are the privileged, and we don't like the way that it looks on them, and so we give ourselves a pass because I'm not like those people are. And so we say that we're not in that category so that we're not people of privilege. But what I want to challenge you with today is that you would not just take a look at privileges. It's either something that you have and, or something you don't, but rather to consider it as more of a sliding scale. In fact, I'd encourage you to think of it as a ladder, if you will, the ladder of privilege. You are somewhere on that ladder of privilege. There are definitely people who are above you who have more privileges than what you have, but there are also people who are below you. 
In fact, there are a lot of people who are below you. Just think about your citizenship. Most everybody listening right now is American. If you want to go to another country and you've got a U.S. passport, you can go. You don't even have to tell them you're coming. You can just show up in their country and flash your U.S. passport and they'll let you in. Virtually anywhere in the world. It's not the same way in reverse. And this is not a political statement. It has been this way for generations and generations because we're a privileged people. Most of you drove in a car to get here. You've probably got another one at home or two or three. I've got two out in the pathway parking lot myself right now. One of them doesn't get above second gear, but that's another story for another time. We're people of privilege. We've got it as we examine ourselves across the world and across our community. People of privilege. Now, typically, when it comes to this ladder of privilege, we look up. We see the people who are above us on the ladder of privilege. That's the direction we naturally look. And we might aspire to be like them, or we might judge them because of what they must have had to do to get to the place that they are. I'm sure it was immoral or illegal or something, right? So we've got that sort of point of view. But rarely do we look down the ladder and consider the people who are down there as it were. And that's the problem. We don't ponder their condition, let alone ask them about it or approach them about it. Our downgrade bias says, look, I've got enough problems of my own. People ought to be looking on my plight instead of me having to look on their plight. But that's not what Jesus called us to. One day Jesus was in the synagogue and they handed him the scroll of Isaiah and told him to read from it. And let me show you what he read. He read this passage. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus went on to say, this passage is talking about me. Now, not everybody was happy with him for claiming to be the one of whom this passage spoke, but he made that claim. And this was huge because what he is doing here is he's turning conventional wisdom on its head. Everybody in the culture would have known that the status quo position and understanding is that the poor are supposed to be downpressed. The blind are supposed to be outcasts. The oppressed are that way for a reason. Those in poverty deserve it because they aren't working hard. All of the position of understanding in that day, the status quo understanding, was that that is the way that these people are supposed to be treated. Enter Jesus, who comes and says, no, 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 no. That's not the way that it is supposed to be. Everybody has value. Everybody has worth. And so we're not walking around as people of privilege. The Pharisees in that day had the same problem. They walked around. Everybody is below us. Nobody is living the way that we ought to live. And so we're the privileged ones. And we deserve that. Jesus came to say, no, no, no. I came to die on the cross for the sake of all of mankind, regardless of their economic position, their moral condition, whatever the circumstance. And he came so that we might understand that perspective and so that we might take it on for ourselves. Now I'm guessing that most of the categories of those people that are on Jesus' list there and I in Isaiah that is quoted there for us in the passage we just read, that most of those are below you on that ladder of privilege. 
I'm guessing that's where they are. And Jesus would say to us today, it doesn't matter how many rungs down they are, that you need to consider them, and not from a position of privilege, but as one who has the responsibility to proclaim the good news to the poor and to the downcast and to the oppressed and so on. That's not just for the super saints. That's Christianity 101. Jesus' brother James picked up on this as he interacted with Jesus. And here's what he wrote on that subject. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this. You want to know how to please God? Here it is. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. The status quo is so deadly because it's so easy to get blinded to it. To not see it, to not understand it because of the wave of culture, the status quo just takes us off in a direction. It's so easy to just kind of get carried along with the whole thing. Friends, what are we saying? Fixation without examination leads to stagnation. Leads us to a place in our mind and our heart where we don't understand where it is that we're supposed to be. We don't understand what it is that God came to help us to understand. This is why Jesus came. So that he might transform the way that things have been going to move in a different direction. If you want to make an influence in the world that you live in, you start to live in a way that is opposite to the status quo and people are going to want to know why. And that's going to have an influence and it's going to impact lives and it's going to influence communities. And we have that opportunity and that responsibility. Jesus came to challenge the status quo. And we don't have him quite in the flesh in the same way that they did in the first century, but we do have the witness of all of those who were with him. We've got the word of God that tells us exactly how he lived, exactly what he did. And it's convicting, isn't it? And we've seen just some of the areas where he challenged that status quo. And it comes to us now to answer the question, what are we going to do with that? Are we just going to push it aside because I'm really pretty comfortable in my status quo? That's really where I'd rather stay? Are we going to be willing to do the examination of our own heart and our mind and our soul? It probably isn't going to result in something that's very comfortable. But it will give us a path to run that's going to take us to where God would have us to be with the influence God desires us to have. It's why He came. How complete, how accurate and beneficial can our celebration of Christmas really be if we're not willing to celebrate why he came? Not just Jesus in a manger, that's so cute, but Jesus who grew to teach and to train and to convict of just a a comfortable direction that we've gone to challenge us forward. Fixation without examination leads to stagnation. But my friends, this is also true that fixation, wherever it is we're starting, the starting point doesn't matter. With examination leads to transformation. Transformation in our own hearts and in the lives of those who are around us. That's what I so much desire for me. That's what I so much desire for Pathway. And there are some examples of things that are going so very well Things that we've already highlighted, like give joy and the other Christmas outreaches that show that there is a willingness on the part of people when when offered the opportunity to go and to serve those who might be ones of less privilege that you're responding, and I praise God for that. 
but I wonder where else it is. We might have been trapped in that status quo. I know that when I do that examination in my own life, it always reveals something. Something that can be different. A place for growth. A place for transformation. And I pray that we would all make our Christmas celebration one that is even more genuine. One that is even more compelling. Because we celebrate the reason that Jesus came, that He might break down the dividing wall of hostility that existed between us and Himself and between us and others. That we'd be able to look on Christmas 2017 and know that God met us here in a unique way and we did the examination and that we've been transformed. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we don't want to be people who are just stuck where we are. We don't want to be people who are willing to just go on and and do things as we've always done it. Getting the same results or lack of results, as it were, that we've gotten before. Coasting. Not really examining where we are, what we're doing, where we're going. Lord, I ask that You'd open our minds open our hearts to this examination. Reveal to us those areas where we've gotten lazy, where we've let it slide. And don't let us rest until we allow that examination to bring about transformation. Lord, open our eyes, open our minds. Thank you for Jesus. Gives us such a beautiful example of what this is all about. He came to serve humbly. He came to serve and transform our perspective that we might follow more closely after you. Lord, take us there and for it we give you honor, seeking to bless the name of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.